0: Good morning. Good morning. Father Ben and uh, one of the rectors here. Greetings uh, on this very chilly uh, morning. I apologize for the, uh, the weather in here. Um, but uh, between that and daylight savings time, uh, what more can go wrong? <laughs> we're all here. We're doing fine. Um, so welcome. I'm eager to uh, proclaim good news to you. Today, Our uh, gospel passage today has Jesus saying something that seems on the surface to be the opposite of what we have been saying so far in our series on confronting man with Jesus, the series that we're doing through Lent. Jesus says, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. So is Jesus advocating for some kind of dual allegiance here? A split between our public life, which belongs to Caesar, and our religious life, which, do your churchy things, that's fine. But give to Caesar and give to God. Is he saying that God has nothing at all to do with politics or worldly concerns? Is he advocating some kind of separation of church and state (laughs) into different areas of authority? A lot of Christians today would be happy with this live and vote wherever you want, make as much money as you want, use it however you want, go to church, also go to church and tithe, and you're good. That's it. And of course, a lot of politicians would be happy with this arrangement as well. They prefer to be left alone, to run the government according to whatever pragmatic or ideological principles they carry around with them, and they don't want to be bothered by pastors and priests and Christians and religious people bothering them about justice. So isn't on here? Is Jesus really saying that God is mainly concerned about our souls and doesn't have anything to say about housing, healthcare, infrastructure, tax codes, education, poverty, politics? Yes. Yes, and discerning. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can feel it, right? I'm setting you up for a no, of course not. That's not what's happening. So that is not what Jesus is saying here. And I will explain. But first, uh, this is the good news that we proclaim together this morning. Jesus comes to deliver us from the dominion of man, which seeks to twist every aspect of life into an object to be possessed, into resources to be extracted. But, beloved, life is a gift from God whose value cannot be measured by man. So let us together resist the commodification of God's gift and the ways that mammon seeks to squeeze us into its mold, and instead let us give to God what is God's, our life, together, received as a gift and shared with one. Pharisees and Herodians, we'll get to that in a second, but they're normally sworn enemies. They said, they go together to trap Jesus. After some flattery, they basically set him up to say, man, you don't compromise at all, do you? You shoot straight. Alright, well here's a question for you. Is it lawful? This is a trap. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And so uh, what they set up here. There's a question about taxes that's not about taxes. This is not an abstract, philosophical, political question about the rules of the tax code of the day. Paying taxes to the emperor here is not a symbolic stand-in for the political sphere in general. Almost nothing in the scriptures is there to give us a general principle to apply to our life. Jesus is almost never doing that. So anytime you're tempted to think, oh, that's a nice principle, Jesus. You're probably on the wrong. Track, man, okay? There's so much more going on here. So, the emperor is not a stand-in for the political sphere. The emperor was a person, Tiberius. who was called Caesar, an actual historical figure. And the taxes paid to this person were a very real and oppressive part of everyday life for Jewish peasants under Roman occupation. Today we see taxes. How many of you guys are thinking about your taxes? We're starting to think it's tax season, right? Kristen, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. so Sharon, she's here. Sharon's watching the kids. I'm sure Sharon's thinking about taxes. Uh, but anyway, it's kind of a minor irritation for us, right? Or if our job involves taxes, it's like a crazy season, right? Uh, we need to take care of it every year. But, you know, it's just something to do. But in Jesus' day, the tax structure was very much seen for what it was. It was an instrument of oppression meant to extract resources from people's lives for the enrichment of of those who were in charge. This tax kept a large part of the population in grinding poverty under the threat, the constant threat, of going into crippling debt that often resulted in selling yourself into slavery, selling your children into slavery. It was awful. It was an awful situation. And it's similar to our Old Testament reading from Nehemiah. There's a famine in the land, and so finding enough to eat is hard enough. And on top of that, they have to pay the king's tax. And so they end up borrowing money from people who, whose fields produce more to pay the king's tax, but eventually end up in a cycle of debt where they have to give away their fields and their homes and they have to give away their children. And the people of Israel are, are living under an oppressive system with each other because, well, the opportunity presented itself. And Nehemiah sees this as wrong according to the law, which it is. So it's similar to that situation. So this question, should we pay taxes to the emperor or not, is not an innocuous, abstract, philosophical, philosophical question. It has revolutionary implications. In addition to this, Jews were forbidden to make carved images, especially of humans. There was some debate about whether you can make any carved image. But on the coins required to pay the tax, which Jesus points out, was what? the image of the emperor, Tiberius. And the inscription on the other side made it even worse, which claimed that the emperor was divine. So it was blasphemous and idolatrous at this point. It was filthy. It was disgusting. It felt terrible to a Jew who cared about these things, to have to have his coins all over the place. So that made it even worse. So notice in this passage, the religious rulers, they sent Pharisees and Herodians, Herodians were upper class collaborators with Rome, supporting the emperor against their fellow Jews in exchange for a little bit of wealth and power. Pharisees, on the other hand, believed strongly in the national Jewish tradition and saw Rome's presence as blasphemous in the land. So normally they're bitter enemies, but they both can agree. Loses the support of the people by saying, Go ahead, pay your taxes, be a good citizen. Rome's not that bad. That's why people were following him. It he carried with him this promise of the kingdom of God and talked a lot about their oppression. They knew they had somebody who understood what was going on with them. And so if Jesus answers benignly and doesn't get himself arrested, well, people are like, Well, I guess he's just like everybody else.
1: On the other hand, if he does
0: say, Don't pay the tax, arrested for sedition. The Herodians are there listening, you know, and their tape recorder's out. They've got their phones out. They're filming it, right? They're like, let's see what he does. You know, let's put this on Either way, we can't lose. We can't lose this. So, um, what they're thinking. Um, but of course, we see what happens.
1: So there's this pregnant
0: pause after the question. Right? Everybody's like, I think that would have does here. He grabs the coin and he says, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Who created this? Well, those are the emperor's images and the inscription they answer. To which Jesus said, well, give the emperor the things that are the emperor's and give to God the things that are God's. And it says they were utterly amazed at <laughs> Other versions of this passage say they dared not ask a paper question. They're <laughs> like, okay, we're done. We the most brilliant thing didn't work. So their amazement here, I think, shows us that we misunderstand Jesus' reply if we think he's just taking the Herodian position. Pay your taxes and go to church. He's not doing that. That wouldn't have been amazing. That wouldn't have silenced them. That would have been boring. <laughs> but something else is happening here. Jesus replies, first of all, in a, a Could be taken either way. It could be a revolutionary slogan, which it actually sounds very similar to earlier Maccabean revolutionary slogans. It could be read as, Let the emperor have his idolatrous trinkets in his petty little empire. Let him have it somewhere else. But the people belong to God. The land belongs to God and those who bear the image of God. But it's ambiguous enough that he can't get arrested for saying it because literally he says, Pay your taxes. See how brilliant it is? It's brilliant. But it's not just a clever way of getting out of a trap. Ultimately, Jesus is calling the whole premise of their question into question. Jesus isn't taking sides in Herodians versus Pharisees. The kingdom of God is ultimately not contained within, it can't be collapsed into collaboration with Rome or violent resistance to Rome. Because Jesus comes not to install new masters on the top of the hierarchy of the idolatrous system of man, but to name and dismantle the entire system all together, calling us into a new way of life together, something different, something outside the idolatrous hegemony of man. He's naming the power behind the power in a very interesting way. She's basically saying, yeah, let the emperor have his stuff that's so important to him. The stuff that he's got his image inscribed into. But give to God what is God's. Where is God's image imprinted? Why is making a graven image forbidden image? image right? Well, the image of God is us. It's the people of God.
1: And so giving to God what is
0: God's is not go to church and pay your tithe. Giving to God what is God's is. That's your whole life. That's you. You give your whole life to the God whose image you bear. And we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is what Paul is saying to the church in Rome in our New Testament reading. Don't let yourself be conformed to the world. Don't let mammon squeeze you into its world. Instead, learn to live in God's economy, economy of gift, resisting the ways that mammon seeks to modify every aspect of our life. Realize, Paul says, that you belong to one another as members of one body in Christ, and then you'll be able to discern how God's at work among you. So Jesus is calling us out from under the boot of man, giving to God what is God, by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice and sharing gifts with each other as members of one body in Christ, raised from death to new life. Beloved, Jesus comes to deliver us from the seeks to objectify and possess, turning every aspect of life into resources to be extracted. But our life together is a gift from God, whose value cannot be measured by man. So today, let us resist the commodification of God's gift in the ways that man tries to squeeze us into its mold and instead give to God as God's. Our very life, received as a gift and shared with one. Can we respond to this? Um, many of us, uh, during the course of this series, have been troubled and uncertain about what all of this means for us in practice. What does it mean for my daily life? Should I get a different job? A lot of these questions uh, are coming up for us. Could we go? It's difficult to know exactly what this means. So I just want to say, first of all, that's OK. It's OK to bear the tension of this. It's okay to not know what this means. It's okay to not know what to do. There aren't really easy answers for this, just like there weren't in Jesus' day. Jesus is not giving us, again, general principles to apply to our lives. Rather, what Jesus is doing is revealing the ways that we've been asleep under the spell of man and waking us up to the gift. Of life together in the abundance of God's kingdom. So, let us sit in these tensions together. Let's learn to welcome them, instead of trying to quickly resolve them to escape the discomfort. And let's ask God to give us a new imagination for how to inhabit these places of our lives where we feel this tension most acutely. Part of how Jesus delivers us from the dominion of man is by freeing our minds, our imaginations, to imagine something other than man. That's part of the deliverance. So part of the deliverance is you feel uncomfortable because you're starting to imagine other possibilities, other alternatives, than just the things that man says are true and real. So, what area of life is this touching for you? What do you feel this tension in? What comes to mind for you as you listen today to this word of good news? A very simple way of responding today, just it in our prayer response as an area that you're uncertain of, as a place of tension for you, and let's ask Jesus to give us a new imagination for life together. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father.